The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to another episode of the Rod and Staff podcast. I'm your host, Jason, along with my co-host, Roger. And uh, we're back at it in the London Baptist Confession of 1689, looking at chapter one on the Holy Scriptures. And we're going to kick off again at paragraph eight, um, which we left off with last time. Um, Roger, before we do that, can we kind of recap just a little bit? Uh, where are we right now? We're, we've looked at kind of what the scriptures are. Um, we've looked at uh, what books are considered scripture. That's the way the authors started that. Well, we looked at kind of how the scriptures are used, what the, the theme of the scriptures are. And I think last time we were talking about, or in our last episode, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is necessary to illuminate and understand the salvation found in the scriptures. And then we said, you know, there are some things that are clear and other things that are not as clear. But when it comes to salvation, it's very clear. Is there anything more in terms of a recap and summary for, for those listening? I think that was a good recap. And I think where they're leading to now is now looking at how we actually uh, think about scriptures in the community and how it directs uh, our lives today Yeah. in the last few paragraphs in this chapter. And really important. Well, why don't you read for us? Um, I know we read it last time, but I think we need to get back to that uh, paragraph 8, and then we can discuss some more. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the native language of the ancient people of God. The New Testament was written in Greek which at the time it was written was most widely known to the nations. These testaments were inspired directly by God and by his unique care and providence were kept pure down through the ages. They are therefore true and authoritative, so that in all religious controversies the church must make their ultimate appeal to them. All God's people have a right to and a claim on the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them. Not all of God's people know these original languages, so the scriptures are to be translated into common language of every nation to which they come. In this way, the word of God may dwell richly in all, so that they may worship him in an acceptable manner, and through patience and the comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Amen. Again, such a rich, full statement. Um, Roger, did you have to study Hebrew in seminary? I did. Did you have to study Greek in seminary? Yes, I did. Did you think that was important? Yes. <laughs> After studying? <laughs> oh, good, safe, good answer. I was a little worried at that hesitation. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was so funny because I remember the first comment. So I, I, if I remember right, I took Hebrew before Greek, mm -hmm. which do most guys take Greek before Hebrew? I remember I the, the order, but yeah. anyway, I remember my, my professor saying this and I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, it's a illustration, but he said, reading the scriptures in their Hebrew language, you know, is so important. You know, you, you think about kissing your bride 
without the veil. That's like reading the scriptures. But if you have the veil on, you can't like, okay, maybe a little oh, extreme. Man. But the point he was making was you see and understand and interact with the scripture in a different way when you're able to look at a language and understand more dynamics yeah. of how language is used because we are thinking about one language translating to another. And we all know that words express differences over time. Yep. And even the words they've, they've chosen to use differ from translation to translation. And sometimes the languages help bring out, bring out meaning, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know about this whole veil illustration to be honest, but <laughs> one of my professors said that it's kind of like, uh, uh, the difference between watching television in black and white and watching it in color. And his point was that you don't, the, the, the facts aren't changing, right? Yeah. There's just this vividness, this color that comes out when you know the original language and are able to, to study in the original language. And, and I guess, let me push a little more on this. Um, why is it important you think, um, that we study the original language of the scriptures and study uh, you know, the Hebrew and the Greek, like what's the, the purpose of studying it in its language in the original? I think if you think about the old Testament's written in Hebrew, so you want to know Hebrew for the old Testament and the new Testament written in Greek. So understanding that, but I think when we bring out in preaching and we bring out words and we'll talk about a Greek word or a Hebrew word, we're trying to bring out a nuance that you may not see in English. Right. So you think of the different tenses, like you think of, let's just use an example, the perfect tense mm -hmm. in the Greek language. It has a meaning, meaning that something happened in the past and has an effect today. Well, that can be important to bring that nuance out for us. Yeah. Or you think of something as simple as this. Is this an imperative command? Mm. Is this a participle? You know, what is going on in that word? Because we can assume that something when we read an English word, but maybe not, maybe corrected when we look at the original. So it helps correct our understanding. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have a, a good, solid understanding without the languages. We're just talking about when you're going that next step in that next layer of understanding in the original, how it can bring out some nuances you may not capture as well just looking at an English text. Sure. Um, and sometimes multiple translations are good. If you don't yep. know the languages, yeah. Yeah, you look at, you know, an uh, NIV, an ESV, you look at even some of the not translations but paraphrases, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those are helpful to help you understand the richness that we find in the original languages. And that's not only for those that don't know the original language, right? Because sure. honestly, we, we can study the original languages. I, you know, one of my, my THM is in new Testament. So I did a ton of Greek, mm -hmm. but my Greek is, is not going to be where some of these other scholars are that are doing the translations. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, you know, I'll start with the original, I'll do the translation, but I will compare it to other English translations actually sometimes to even other languages to see, okay, what are some nuances and flavors that I might be missing um, in, in my approach? But one of the neat things in the confession statement, though, it, it, it talks about the fact that, you know, you've got these testaments that were written in, the, in these original languages. By the way, they forget to say that some of the Old Testament's mm -hmm. written in Aramaic. Yeah. I'm a little bothered by that, but we won't, <laughs> we won't get too upset about that. Uh, but it says 
they, they were in these testaments. So the original, yeah. the autographs were inspired mm-hmm. by God directly by God. And then it goes on by his unique care and providence were kept pure down through the ages. What do you think the authors are referring to there? Well, they're looking at the original <clears throat> scriptures, the original autographs, as we call them, mm-hmm. not looking at the translations as the ones that are inerrant mm-hmm. and pure, but looking at the original uh, manuscripts. And, you know, we took a whole class on that yep. uh, in in seminary, looking at that, all the different ones that are available, um, how many copies there are, the different languages, and looking at that saying, God has preserved those, um, and and those are inerrant, and that our translations are a great translation, but we're not holding one version inerrant. We're not saying, you know, let me use the example, KJV only, as if the KJV is inspired. No, we're looking back at that, at the same time looking at God's unique care and providence to keep them pure that there's so many different manuscripts that reinforce one another that we have more confidence in what we're reading today yeah i was going to ask what what are some of the evidence of god's providential care over the scriptures uh, being passed down from age to age I think if, you know, you, we often hear that argument of how many historical documents do we have of different literature? Mm-hmm. You look at the Bible manuscripts, mm-hmm. they outweigh common literature, common forms of, of works that have been done. And with all of that variety and one reinforcing the other in different parts of the world, um, different languages help give us that confidence of, wow, God has done a preserving work as they were copied. Yeah. You know, we don't have that original, original, right. We have the copies. And when you have many copies reinforcing that, that's what is, you know, the argument of what's giving us confidence uh, in them. If you look at the manuscript evidence that we have for the old and new testaments, I mean, the old is high enough mm-hmm. the level of certainty, but the new, we just have, it's exponentially greater than any of the other uh, ancient documents that you're, or ancient books that you're mm-hmm. referring to, including, I think the Iliad is one that they talk about yeah, is having right. a lot of manuscripts, but not compared to the scriptures. And one of the cool things about any, any um, uh, Hebrew text or Greek text, not any, but a lot of them have the uh, important kind of, um, I can't remember what it's called, the, the apparatus, the, the critical apparatus at the mm-hmm. bottom where it will tell you which manuscripts yeah. have which particular words so that you know, okay, if there's even a word that's questionable, was that the word that was originally there or not? You have all of this manuscript evidence to say, okay, here's what other words might have been used or were used in different manuscripts. And when you put it all together, we are quite certain that we have, you know, at, at minimum, you know, like a 95% accurate copy of the original Greek New Testament. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That is the hand of God caring for his people mm-hmm. because th- those texts are are important for his people. How important are they, Roger? Why why are these autographs so important or copies of the autographs? Well, if if our confidence, if we don't have confidence in the scripture, then 
what are we wasting our time on? It's all in vain, right? I yeah. mean, uh, we're, we're talking about where we came from. Okay, you can debate that. But if we're talking about our problem, do we have a problem with sin or not? If we don't even start with the foundation of if we have a problem or not, then Christ doesn't mean anything if we don't have that understanding. If we don't have the understanding that the Word of God is teaching us the most important question we have mm-hmm. of how to be right with our God, then there's nothing else. And I know, the, you know, if, even if you look back and say in Genesis 1-1, if Genesis 1-1 isn't something we can be assured of, that God was the creator, yeah. everything that comes after that we're going to question. It's questionable, So sure. if we start questioning, then it's endless and you have no confidence in the word. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it's interesting the way that the authors of the confession put it, they say they are, and once they say that they've been kept pure down through the ages, it mm-hmm. says they are therefore true and authoritative. So yeah. in all religious controversies, the church must make their ultimate appeal to them. So we, as God's people, if there's a question, we go to the scriptures the scriptures we can trust because God has providentially protected them. And no, this isn't like other religions that say, oh, God handed down from heaven mm-hmm. one copy or something yeah, like that. Yeah. This is through secondary causes, human means, divinely guided, mm-hmm. providentially, right? Doctrine of providence. We have these this confidence mm-hmm. in God's truth. I, I just find this to be... Uh, you know, something that causes me to want to worship the Lord mm. so much. And then he, they go on and they talk about, um, you know, or, or that, that statement itself, it's, it's the, the ultimate appeal is made to them. And you made a point, you said not any one translation, but the autographs. Mm-hmm. What's the danger, Roger? Let's say, let's take the KJV because I've been speaking to someone about yeah. a church that is KJV only, for instance. What would be the risk, the danger, the problem with saying, no, the KJV is the inspired authoritative version? I think now you have taken one step into um, taking a translation into a different language and making that authoritative. Mm -hmm. And now your objective or your foundation is no longer in manuscripts that were written closer to the time Mm -hmm. of Christ, but now you have this distance and now we're putting a translation written after as authoritative. And I think that what you, the slippery slope is to say, well, every other translation is now not authoritative and not correct. And, and to do that and to say, all of a sudden we found the only pure translation and all of these are not true. I think there's a risk in thinking that somehow God has now inspired an English or, you know, a mm-hmm. different translation on top of what we're saying as the autograph autograph as being, you know, what was passed down. Yeah. Uh, that's just what comes to my mind thinking of. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this um, with regard to the fact that we have now new, uh, no, new discoveries of manuscripts that are older than the ones that were used to translate the KJV. Hmm. So yeah. we have earlier manuscripts now mm-hmm. that actually call into question some of the translation in, yeah. let's say, the KJV. So now are we saying, but no, the KJV is the authoritative one, even if we know that the autographs mm-hmm. were different? That's, that's a problem, mm-hmm. it seems. 
But then that leads to another question, Roger. Man, I'm getting to put you on the spot. This is good. I know. This is good. It's better you than me. Um, <laughs> I'll just deflect back to you. But Great. <laughs> the answer. So, I mean, I was thinking about this. Okay, but then what confidence should we have in the translations that we have? I think that we can have a, a confidence in them in a sense that they have been looked at with men who, who translate them and, and the translators that have done their best um, as a committee. So it's not one man, but you have multiple people mm-hmm. working. I shouldn't just say men. You have multiple people working yeah. on these translations. And you can look back and, you know, for those who know Hebrew and Greek, we can look back and say, is this what the Word of God teaching? You know, is this, yeah. is this true? And that you have translations so many of them today you have the bsv the niv the kjv you have all these different Mm -hmm. translations they're all still the same message oh yeah there's no there's no contradiction over the primary message of what scripture is now there may be phrases that are said differently and we need to think through is that you know, is that, is that true uh, or not true? Is that helpful in how it's expressed? Right. And you see revisions. Yep. You see them revise and say, you know, we think we should translate it better in English this way. Think of the English language. It, it changes. We use words today that meant something different 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. And so I think mm-hmm. that we can have confidence in, in what we have before us today um, in that the truth hasn't changed. The primary message of the gospel all the essentials are consistent between the different translations that's right that consistency is is very clear i mean just pick up some translations and compare them you're right there are going to be some areas that you're like wow that that phrase is translated differently Mm -hmm. that's interesting and it may even lead to a little bit of a different meaning or a sense Mm -hmm. but again the majority 90 plus percent is translated very very consistently and I, I as one who try to deal in the original languages as well as look as tra- at translations uh, find that to be kind of overwhelmingly true uh, there are times that you wonder you know sometimes in the original you see a, a, a conjunction an and or a but or something yeah, that's yeah. not translated in the English and you're like yeah. oh, why didn't you translate that because they're trying to communicate something but um, we can be confident in our translations any one of those major translations so I want our listeners to know mm-hmm. ESV, NAS, even the King James, you know, we, I'm mm-hmm. saying, hey, there are some problems, but it's still a wonderful translation. The NIV, um, uh, even the New Living Translation, mm-hmm. even though it is it is a translation, but it's a little uh, more dynamic, uh, still really good and helpful translations uh, to be working with. We, we probably should push on a little bit. Let's look at paragraph nine, Roger. Can you read that to us? Sure. So says the infallible rule for interpreting scripture is the scripture itself therefore when there is a question about the true and full meaning of any part of scripture and each passage has only one meaning not many it must be understood in light of other passages that speak more clearly this is interpretation mm-hmm. how do we interpret scripture so said what is scripture Uh, How did we get the scriptures? How did God providentially protect the scriptures? Now we have these autographs turned into translations. Now we've got it here. Okay. How do we study it? How do we read it? Mm -hmm. And what's the principle that they're bringing out here? 
they're bringing out that scripture is its own interpreter, that mm-hmm. scripture passages are not contradicting, that one scripture is in helping us interpret other scriptures, either bringing to light something new, could be the fulfillment, could be uh, adding on to our understanding that scripture is interpreting itself, that, mm-hmm. that we have a complete uh, a word from God. So when we're looking at the Old and New Testament, we're seeing that even in the new, it's helping us understand uh, the old yeah. and, and interpreting that for us. You, you even have uh, those nuances in the New Testament where uh, I think it's m- mainly in Acts where you have uh, the author bringing out text in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and interpreting it for us. Yep. And you have even that direct connection where scripture is quoted and interpreted for us, but it's helping us see that, um, you know, to go back to, uh, the staying in the scripture for its interpretation. And, and honestly, I think that this leads us to um, some some level of systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Now, why do I say that? Well, you know, if I just take one passage and I make all of my thinking about a topic based on that one passage, yeah, I could... Uh, go off in a wrong direction. For instance, I'll give an example. I was taking in, in seminary a, a, a class on the pastoral epistles. Hmm. And my professor, and I, I love him dearly, he always challenged us in class. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a one-page paper on what church government should look like hmm. based solely on the pastoral epistles. He said, go home. He goes, read it and tell me what... He, he said, so think about Presbyterianism, Episcopalianism, mm. Congregationalism, whatever you want. Take all those and, and just choose the one that seems to fit that evidence. Okay. And don't look at any other letter from Paul or any other part of Scripture. Just the pastoral. So First, Second Timothy and Titus. Mm. And I wrote a paper saying, if this is all I had, it seemed that the, the, the authority was so vested in one person, Timothy or Titus... <laughs> That it was probably an Episcopalian oh. <laughs> system, <laughs> interesting. right? But that's because if I didn't have any other yeah. passage to work with. Now the point is, Scripture is meant to interpret the rest of Scripture, and we're studying it together. That leads us to um, thematic systematizing, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. It's what the Scriptures are meant for. That's why Paul talks about a pattern of sound words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're they're leading to that as well. Um, what about this idea that in, it must be understood in light of other passages that speak more clearly? What's the principle there? I think they're bringing out that some passages clarify what was said before, mm-hmm. that we understand a passage in light of another passage. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think of examples. Nothing's coming to uh, specific examples not coming to mind. Is there one that you think about of it, it bringing more clarity I'm just thinking, I think there's that principle that we talk about. We say the clearer passages interpret the more obscure passages. Yeah, sure. Right. So you come, you come to a passage that, you know, uh, I, I don't know, may, maybe take even the, the passage uh, where, you know, women wearing head coverings or something like that. And, and you want to make this kind of challenging passage the end all on every issue. Yeah. And you're like well, wait a minute, we have got other clear passages that help us interpret that. Let's say, that's probably a bad example. Um, But so often I think that cults or sects 
mm-hmm. or false kind of teaching comes out of this taking an obscure, some apocalyptic passage yeah. and, and making an entire theology out of it. When you got this, all this clear evidence mm-hmm. in the rest of scripture, you know, something like losing one's salvation. You know, I think there's some really clear passages say, look, if you're Christ, you're safe in Christ, yeah. right? And then someone will read a warning passage or something and they'll want to make an entire theology out of that. Yeah. But there are some really clear passages. Let's use those to help us understand the obscure ones. I think mm-hmm. that's, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, uh, I think I'm looking at the time here. Should we go to the next paragraph? Yeah, let's do it. So the supreme judge for deciding all religious controversies and for evaluating all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, human teachings and individual interpretations, and in whose judgment we are to rest, is nothing but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit. In this Scripture, our faith finds its final word. Amen. What's... uh... What's the big point there? Well, the supreme judge is the pastor of the church, right? Now, I mean, <laughs> not the pope. <laughs> um, but but it's bringing out the fact that there are councils, opinions, writers, humans interpreting today, where where there's always uh, interpretation. Oh, that that's our job to interpret the scriptures, both mm-hmm. on a personal level, uh, in the community, in in the body. But the supreme judge for everything and its final word always goes back to the scriptures. It's not found in man. It's not right. found in what we think or believe or want. It's can we find it back in the word of God? Can we? How, how do we support it um, in the word? Because the scriptures are coming, as they're saying, from the spirit, yeah. delivered by the spirit. So our ultimate authority is not resting in man it's resting back in the scriptures as we think of this confession yeah you know all of these are referencing passages mm-hmm. they're all going back so they're bringing out principles and showing where do we find this in the scripture so we're not putting our authority in these men or the, the statement per se mm-hmm. we're putting it back in the word of god that they're drawing from yeah and w- when we use a confession what we are saying is we believe this confession is what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. And if someone brings to us something from the scriptures that calls into question something in the confession, mm-hmm. the Bible wins mm-hmm. as long as it's properly understood. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the confession is confessing that <laughs> the confession is saying, guess what? The final authority is not this confession. The yeah. final authority is the word of God. We just happen to believe that this is what the word of God teaches. Yeah. And that's why we have this confession. But the confession itself says the trump card is scripture itself. Now it doesn't denigrate, by the way, the church fathers yeah. or the councils you know, or other people, you know, good preachers and teachers that have interpretive skills and abilities. It's just that they're not the authority. Yeah. Uh, and, and and just think about how that could be applied today. Mm-hmm. You know, the authority or, or you know, of, of a preacher, he, he doesn't have the authority in, in telling us, you know, here's how you ought to live. Here are the specifics of how you ought to live. They're not principles drawn from Scripture. We're not giving him this this 
authority to tell us. And we've seen that, that misuse of, of, of power. Yeah. You can say in, in how people are ought to live their lives. Yeah. You know, we're, we're directing people back to the Word of God and the conviction that not only comes from the Word of God, but through the Spirit of God. Amen. And that freedom we have, even as we talked about before, one interpretation, that means many applications. Mm-hmm. That may mean we live out the Scriptures in different ways. So our, our goal is to bring out what the Scriptures are teaching so that people might apply them to their life. Mm-hmm. And there's freedom in how that might look. Yeah. And it's going to look vastly different in different people's lives, perhaps based on age, context, place in life. And when we make our application Mm -hmm. authoritative, right? Here's what, you know, because we're called to holiness, Mm -hmm. This is what it must look like. Do yeah. not go to movies. Do not dance. Do not, you know, all of a sudden we get this list of things that are not in scripture. Yeah. And then it becomes authoritative. And our congregation believes that they're in sin if they disobey it. They, and now, guess what? I have controlled yeah. the congregate. When I say I, as the pastor, I'm controlling them beyond it's not, it's, I'm controlling, not scripture anymore, right? I think that's what you were alluding to. Yeah, Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, how you can shape one's view on how they live their lives, where the application, yeah, is now thus says the Lord. Yeah. It, instead of this is ways the Lord can teach us how to live. These are different ways we can express our faith. It's no, this is the way to express our faith. And then that leads into people who can become moralistic, self-righteous, and then lose their assurance and lose their confidence in God because now it's all about them and about what it looks like. And, and it's not driven, you know, through a, a helpful interpretation. It's driven by one man's, understanding of how to live or maybe even your own conviction maybe you're convicted Mm -hmm. that the way i'm gonna live out i just don't want to you know go to a movie an r-rated movie or a pga movie you know you have those convictions sure we can live those out on our own but when we put those on others we've taken scripture and now made that you know we're we're saying how we live that out is now authoritative for every other person and yeah and we've seen the effects of that i think you know, that, that type of teaching and, and applying the Definitely. God's word. So we, we see it. Yeah. We see it a lot. I, I was just even talking to someone who was sharing this, um, you know, in a certain context, even the way that congregation or those people were dressing mm. led this person to, even though she wasn't convicted that way necessarily personally, but she didn't want to stand out. And that's what everyone was doing. And, yeah. and, and there was some spiritual kind of authority behind it. So I, I kind of got to give in and, and, and do that. And that could be really dangerous because then we get into this issue of, um, is, are we given a Western American version of Christianity, <laughs> a California version or whatever? <laughs> and then we're saying, Hey, those of you that don't sing the way we sing, recite the way we recite, do yep. you're not biblical. Yeah. There's a, problem with that yeah yep yeah well listen we we've talked about some really important things in this entire um chapter chapter one a lot of important themes ideas 
anything that you want to add as we're wrapping up this episode? I just think that as we think about going through this confession and we've gone through this entire chapter one, this is our fourth episode on this, that mm-hmm. our response to this, how, how should we respond to the, to what we lit, you know, what we're hearing, what we're discussing. And I think for me with the thought that keeps coming back to my mind is we have this treasure yeah. of the word of God. We have it so available mm-hmm. to us. Are we treasuring God's word in our own hearts? Are we seeing it, um, and, you know, in all of, of, of its glory yeah. in a sense of God communicating to us mm. and, and to respond to that of it's, yeah, we, we should take God's word seriously uh, for all of our life. It, it's God's word to us Amen. and it's rich mm-hmm. and it's difficult at times to grasp, but it's our, we, we place our hope and in, in life and death on what the scriptures teach about Christ. Amen. That's how important it is to our lives. And so. it's chapter one for a reason. Yeah. It's the foundation. Yeah. Everything else is going to come out of this. So, uh, Roger, it's been fun talking through this chapter with you and I uh, can't wait to get into the next chapter on God and the Holy Trinity. Uh, but we'll You'll come back to that, that to oh, great <laughs> at some point. But for those listening, thank you for listening. And if you found this helpful and you'd like to encourage others to listen, we would appreciate that. If you have questions, things you'd want us to clarify, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, otherwise we, we pray that God would bless you as you uh, study the scriptures and submit to them, uh, until the next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.